So we're continuing our series, Transformation. And we've been in this series for a couple of weeks now. And the whole concept of this series is that when we step into relationship with Christ, when we give our life to Christ, our life has to transform. We have to, we have to start different practices, different habits, different ways of viewing the world. Maybe it's, it's something that we thought was one way our whole life, and then we read the Word of God and we're saying, okay, wait, something's different. We need to transform our thinking on this. And uh, the visual we've used for this is the butterfly through the whole series. And in the first week of this series, I talked about why we did that and how the caterpillar, um, you know, what happens to a caterpillar when it enters its cocoon and this beautiful butterfly. um, I just have to confess something. I I confess something. Um, That first day, when I talked about this butterfly, I, I said that a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, and I just have a question. Anybody been corrected by a five-year-old before? <laughs> yeah, so my daughter um, comes home, and she begins to talk to me about butterflies, and she says, Dad, butterflies don't have cocoons. They have chrysalises. And I said, you're very silly. That's not a thing. I've never heard that in my life. And so as I am just telling her she's wrong, I start to Google, what's a chrysalis? And then I look up, I'm like, oh, Google says she's right. But I didn't even trust Google. The next day, I take her to school, and I talk to her teacher, Miss Lucy, who's the greatest kindergarten teacher in the world. And I, I, I talk to her. I'm like, hey, so I don't know what you're teaching our kids, but what she says, a chrysalis. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, it's a chrysalis. And so I, I have to apologize because I lied on that day. Butterflies don't have cocoons, and I'm just going to redo it. So here's how the, the, the metamorphosis transformation series happens. A caterpillar goes into its chrysalis. And inside that chrysalis, the caterpillar is broken down to nothing. And out emerges out of this chrysalis a beautiful butterfly. And our, our relationship with Christ is this is what we're, we're called to do, is when we encounter Jesus, when, when we, we step into relationship with Jesus, we are asking him to break down the areas in our life that we need breaking into, to make us a new creation, to, to help us see things differently so we can transform into the believer he wants us to be. And today, as we've been talking through different areas over the last couple weeks, today we're going to be focusing on the area of witness. What does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to be a witness as we read scripture? If you look up the definition of witness, witness says one who gives evidence regarding a fact. One who gives evidence that is fact is a witness, regarding fact. And I know when we say the word witness, we all have different ideas of witness. And if you're anything like me, whenever I hear witness, my mind automatically goes to a courtroom courtroom. I'm talking that dramatic scene you see in the movies. Does the prosecution rest its case? No, we have one more witness. And the door flies open, breaks the whole case open, you know, and they come in, they testify to the truth. When we read scripture, it's a different kind of witness. It's a different look at this idea of what a witness is. So let's read out of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 what it looks like. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will receive power. 
and you will be my witnesses. So if witnesses is the telling of a truth or a fact, how are we as Christians called to be witnesses? We are witnesses to the truth. And we are called to proclaim that truth and live that truth daily. But the question is, is what is the truth? We live in a culture where truth is a tricky word. Isn't that weird? Truth's tricky. We, have, we live in a culture of my truths. We live in a culture where truth, but we live in a culture where even lies are believed are true. So what is the truth that the Christian the disciple was called to be a witness in. The truth is this, is that there's only one truth. There's one ultimate truth, and that truth's name is Jesus Christ. And here's the truth of Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth in the form of an infant. He lived a perfect life for 33 years. At the age of 33, he was taken to the cross unjustly. There was cries for a criminal to be made free instead of him, even though he had committed no sin. He went to the cross, gave his life on the cross, at that moment bearing the weight of sin of humanity, yours and mine, carrying that weight, bearing every sin on his shoulders and covering it in his blood. And as he died on that cross, he went to a tomb and he stayed there for three days and then conquered death by raising from that tomb. And in doing so, creating a pathway for us to spend eternity with him in heaven forever. And here's the truth that comes out of that. Now I have stepped into relationship with him and he has radically changed my life. And if you would like to do the same, he could do the same for you. That's the truth. Now, I wanna make sure this is clear. That's the truth. There's no, there's no additions to this gospel message. There, there's, no, there's no manufacturing. Here's the truth a lot for us is we read scripture and we say, but there's that part in there that I don't like. There's that part in there that makes me like struggle. There's that part in there that's hard to read. There's that part in there that's hard to understand. And what we do as humanity instead is we will take scripture and say, well, that must not be true. Instead of saying this, this is the rightful position, I think, as a witness of Christ, because there is things that are unclear, there's things that are hard to read. And instead of us being people who say, well, that must not be true, what if we were people who say, God, we know that your ways are greater than our ways. Your understanding is greater than my understanding. Even though there's things in your word that might not make sense to me, I might, it might hurt me to read it, I'm gonna trust that you are good and you are always good. I'm gonna submit to you knowing that you are higher than me. And even though it hurts sometimes, I'm trusting you. That's the truth we are called to submit to. We're called to submit to that truth, that he is all-knowing and he is perfect in every way. Amen? And so we're gonna spend the next couple minutes, and I promise, I know that you all have plans for lunch and brunch after this, um, right? If not, uh, head out, go to the bathroom. Um, and I promise we'll get you out of here in time for that, but I wanna talk about four things today that stop us from being the kind of witness Jesus asked us to be in Acts 1. Things that stop us and maybe even some things that hurt our witness. We're gonna talk about these four things for us in the next couple minutes, and the first one is this. The first thing that often stops people from being a witness, sharing the truth of Jesus in their life, the first thing is fear. Fear. If I stand out for truth, if I'm witness to this truth of Jesus, I might get hurt. I might get hurt emotionally. 
I, I, might, I might be put in a position to where my friendships look different and my relationships look different. Maybe even my marriage, if we don't agree on the truth of Jesus, if I stand up and I'm bold about it, I could be hurt. I could be outcast. Because those group of friends that I've had for my whole life, that I go out and party with and drink with, and we just have this great life together, if I start living what I'm saying, living what I'm saying I stand for, they might not want to be friends with me anymore, and I can't risk that. I might be looked at differently at work, in my relationships. All these fears start to creep up. If I am going to be a witness like Jesus is calling me to do, if I'm gonna witness to the truth, all of these fears start to build up in us. And then I read a passage like this in Psalms 55, 22. It says this, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. I think oftentimes our fear, our fear stems from a lack of trust in God. Our fear stems from a lack of magnitude of the God we worship in our eyes. See, I, I have this fear of my own, and this is just a moment of transparency. Please don't make fun of me for it, but you're all good people. So, I had this fear growing up, especially as a younger child, I was terrified of heights. Anybody else scared of heights? Don't raise your hand, it might be too high. <laughs> um, I was terrified as, height, as heights as a little kid. And I, I was so terrified, I, I would get up on these structures like ladders or, here was my biggest fear. Whenever I'd get to a high structure, like we'd go on vacation, and you know those vacations, there's those, to, those tall sky, skyscrapers, and you get in the elevator, and for some reason you pay money to go to the top. You pay money to go to the top and you stand in front of a glass window and look. And my deepest fear was standing at the edge and looking over. I, you know that feeling, that rock in your stomach? Yeah, I, I, I was so scared. It was crippling for me. I would shake and I would just, you know, I would just get really nervous. And you know, it was like that my whole childhood until in my teenage years, someone said I was, I was climbing up on a ladder. And I was climbing up on a ladder. I was so scared and I was embarrassed because people were watching me. And this guy says to me, he says, hey, trust the structure. Trust the structure you're on. It's built for this. Stop looking where you're at. Look at what you're standing on. And I started to think about that. I've spent my whole life scared of heights because when I get to the high point, I look at the possibility of falling down. I look at the fear of falling over. But then I, as I, it's, been, it's still a work in progress. I mean, whenever I find myself in a situation where I'm high up and I'm uncomfortable, I start to look at the structure and I start to say things like this. This ladder was built for this moment. It was crafted by a maker who made it to do this specific task. When I get on top of high buildings, I'll stand at the top and say, this building has lasted hundreds of years. It's not gonna fall today. It's built for this. And the truth is, when it comes to us being a witness and the fears we face that come along with it, I think a lot of the fears that we have are based because we're looking at all the possible outcomes instead of looking how God built us and how he is in us and he is with us and he has made us built for that. He has made us built to be able to step out in these uncertain situations and through his strength he will sustain us and so many of us are looking at the fear instead of looking at our big almighty God saying I can trust him, amen? The second thing, that stops us from being a good witness, or even stops us from even starting, is passivity. 
passivity. Things like this. Well, we have time for that, Shane. Uh, we have time. Don't worry. You know, I gotta, I gotta live this part of my life and I gotta, I gotta focus on this for right now, but I'll get, I'll get to all this stuff you're saying later, Shane. I got time. Or it's not just the season for me. We can become a very passive people. We can become a very passive people. And it's easy for us even to come to church on Sundays and see such an amazing large group of people and say, well, I don't have to be a witness, like all of Reno's here. <laughs> when the truth is there's so many people around us who need the love of Jesus Christ. They need the forgiveness of their sins that his blood was shed for. And we can become easily passive and put things off. But here's the truth. Here's, hear me on this. There's two timestamps that we need to think through when it comes to being witness that everyone will face. First timestamp is that our time here on earth is limited. The time here, our time here on earth is limited. We will all face a time here on this earth where we will pass on from this earth. That's a timestamp. There's no avoiding that. And the second timestamp is the return of Christ. That Jesus is coming back. That he is coming back to take back what is his. And these two timestamps should cause an urgency in us an urgency in us to be the witness of truth of who Jesus is to the people around us. But we, we, just, we believe this lie, well, we have time. We have time. I remember a story, and some of you heard this story before. When I was a young kid, I used to go to church with my grandma sometimes when I'd go visit her. And there was one service I went to at her tiny, beautiful little church. It was a church of probably about 10 people, just this row. But it was a beautiful church. It had the most beautiful stained glass windows. And I remember going there, sitting in the pew, and the pastor was speaking on the return of Christ. I remember hearing this message, and I'm just terrified. I don't know Jesus yet. I mean, I would call myself a Christian because I went on holidays, and my family like, did the same. I, I would call, but I, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm hearing about the second coming of Jesus, and I am just terrified. I went home and I, I, that night, and I went to bed. I had the like, worst nightmares. I was just scared to death because it seemed to me it was like happening. It was going to happen any moment. Even while the pastor was speaking, I was like, is this happening at the end of this message? Like, what do I do? I, I, I was just so caught up in the fear of this. I went to sleep. I woke up the next day. What do you think my, I did that day? I, I did what only I knew how to do as a little kid. I started doing the dishes. Because if Jesus is coming back, I'm gonna be working. And after I started doing the dishes, I started to vacuum. After I vacuumed, I said, Grandma, what do you need? Because I don't know when he's coming back, but I wanna be doing something when he does. I, wanna, I don't want him to come back and see me playing video games. And so I work like that, and I think about our life today. As Christians, in the world we live in, what if we had that mindset of this urgency of the return of Christ or the urgency on the shortness of people's lives and we just had that moment like I did as a kid, like I need to start working. I need to start sharing and witnessing this truth. I don't have time to waste. I don't have days, I don't have years. I only have today to witness like Jesus has called me to witness unless he blesses me with another one. But I just worry that we're letting so much time be wasted and we're not witnessing to the people around us in our everyday life. And what I'm not saying, don't do this. What I'm not saying is go out on the street corner and start yelling at people. Don't do that, you'll make us look weird. 
You know, don't do that. What I am saying is every day when God presents something in your life to love someone, love them. When God puts someone in your life who asks a question, don't run from the question. When God puts someone in your life and you feel that little nudging of the Holy Spirit, like I should do some, an act of kindness for this person, do it. And if the best opportunity, if you are in a position to share the truth and be a witness to the truth of Jesus, do it. Don't be passive. Don't be fearful. Amen? So the third thing that stops us, the third thing that stops, stops us, or in this case hurts our witness, is something called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Sometimes we have divided messaging as Christians. We have different messages, divided messaging. Sometimes our lips say something, but our actions do different. Sometimes we say things like, I love you, I care for you, but our actions look different. Mark 7 speaks to this in verse 6 and 7. It says, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. When I read this passage, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts were far from me. When I read this passage, I just see over and over again, we have to be more than just talking the talk. We have to be more as a witness than just saying things. As a witness, we are called to live what we talk, to practice what we preach. Do you know that you're all preaching a message every day? I get to stand up here and preach and do this thing with you every Sunday. But every day when you walk around your community, you are preaching a message representing Jesus. What's that message saying to the world? What's that message saying to your coworkers? What's that message saying to your family? We are preaching that message and we have to live what we say we believe in. We have to do more than just talk. And I think what this passage points to is a place of, it's one thing just to preach the gospel, but if you are not loving people, if you are not caring for people, then your heart is wrong. Because that's the heart of Jesus. Let me, let me show it to you in the visual. Where's my friend Eli? Eli, you still here? There he is. Give Eli a hand, give Eli a hand. All right, so Eli's gonna help me out. He's getting married soon, y'all, great. Eli's gonna help me out, and we're gonna paint a little picture for you here on how we, we sometimes witness. And what we're gonna do is, um, in a moment, I'm just gonna ask Eli to walk towards this cliff. This cliff, and this cliff is a metaphorical drop-off. It's not just metaphorical. If you fall off, it's gonna hurt. But at this cliff, it can mean so many things. It can be uh, someone who's walking towards, away from God. Someone who's walking towards that decision you know is gonna hurt them. Someone who's walking towards a sin that you know is gonna break them. Someone who's walking towards that eternal point that you don't even wanna talk about. And we want to help. We want them to see the what? The truth. We wanna be witness to Jesus, but here's how we do it. If this is Eli's walk and he begins to walk, we, we don't walk yet, Eli, wait, just stay there. What we normally do is we don't, we're not even close, we're like over here. And if I'm trying to help Eli, I'm doing it from this posture. Go ahead and start to walk, Eli. And I'm like, hey, you're wrong. Hey, that's a mistake. You're bad. You're a horrible person. Stop. Don't walk off, Eli. Stop. Come back. Come back. 
This is how we do it, from a distance. Hey, don't you know you're wrong? Don't you know the truth? Don't you know you're mistaken? Don't you know you're a failure? Don't you know you're let down? Don't, can't you see the truth? And we're so far away, we're just, we're just throwing it at them. And then there's this one. This one's even worse. We're still at a distance. Begin to walk. We're trying to help them. We just talk to other people. Can you believe them? Look at how silly they are. They don't even know how bad they are. Oh, I hope they find Jesus. And we're just talking. Stop, Eli. Don't walk off the cliff. We're just talking. We're just gossiping to other people. And yes, we might be saying true things. Is Eli heading towards the cliff? Yes. But is me standing at a distance, talking about him, or talking negatively to him, helping him avoid it? No, but here's how, I, when I read about Jesus, when I read how Jesus did it, and how we are called it to do it as witnesses, here's what I see. Go ahead, Eli. We're called to get close, partner with them, walk with them with our arm around them. When they get to this point, when it's, when it's right at the end, when it, it's like, oh my gosh, we gotta help, we, we, we grab them, we look at them, we just say, I love you. I love you, and the truth is, is Jesus has set me free, and I know you're hurting, I know you have brokenness in you, but he wants to heal you, and I wanna show that to you. I'm not just gonna say it with my mouth. I'm gonna get on my knees, and I'm gonna serve you. If you want me to wash your shoes, I'm gonna wash your shoes. If you need anything, I'm gonna lay down my life for you to serve you, because Jesus laid down his life for me, and he's the only way I am free, so if you're gonna find freedom, I'm gonna serve you so you can see Jesus through me. That's how I'm called to do it. Give, it, give Eli a hand, come on, come on. Hey, Eli, wait, real quick, Eli, just so you know, that was like the perfect wedding walk you just did. Like coming down the aisle, that was perfect training, yeah. That's the truth, guys. I don't know, I, I just don't want my witness. I don't want my witness just to be my words. I want my witness to be like, man, Shane is just a servant. Shane serves me. Shane cares for me. Shane has laid down his life multiple times to help me. So maybe I will talk to this Jesus guy because he's doing something miraculous in him. The fourth thing, fourth and last thing, last thing, big cue, last chance to make the phone call. Fourth thing. Brokenness. Brokenness. We can't be a witness because we feel too broken. We feel underqualified. We feel like maybe we have too much sin. Gosh, Shane, you don't know how much broken, how much hurt I've caused. Maybe we just feel underqualified because we've been hurt. Maybe we, we, can't, we can't step out and be a witness because how could God use someone as broken as me, as messed up as me, how could God use someone who's made so many silly mistakes as me? How, God doesn't want me to be his witness because I'm still a sinner. I still got problems. And so many times our brokenness, because we believe lies from the enemy, stops us from even trying to be the witness Jesus has called us to be. I want to read this passage in 2 Corinthians to you, verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in what? Weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults 
the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, he is what? Strong. Then I am strong. Your brokenness does not disqualify you from being used as a witness for Jesus. Sometimes your brokenness is the greatest witness you have. I wanna read a list I heard a pastor read a while back, talking about how God loves and throughout scripture uses broken people all the time. I wanna read this passage to you. If you're broken, if you are one of these people, you feel like you have too much brokenness, I want you to hear this list. Hear these characters in scripture and see how big our God is. Abraham was old. Joseph was prideful. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Jeremiah was very young. Jacob was a cheater. And David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep when they should have been praying when Jesus needed him most. And Paul, one of the most influential people in scripture, a Pharisee who once traveled to persecute believers and stop the Christian faith, became one of the most influential people in it. God loves to use broken people. You wanna know why? Because when he takes broken people and he uses them to do beautiful things, he gets the glory. When he takes broken people that don't make sense, that still have problems, that still have hardships, People will look at him and they'll say, it's not them, there's something different about them because they're a broken person. This message they carry is perfect though. I wanna close with this. Speaking of brokenness and how God doesn't, God is not scared of your brokenness and in fact, it's something that can be made into something beautiful and priceless. There is this um, art form uh, that in Japan they use broken pottery it's called kintsugi. And what they do is they take broken pots that have been cracked and they fill the cracks with the finest gold. The finest gold. Where most potters would take the pot and they'd try to hide the cracks. In this art form, they make the cracks and the brokenness the focus. And you know what's interesting about this? When this is done, when these pots go back into market with this gold filling, they are almost 50 times the value of when they started just like us, when we come to Jesus with our brokenness, with our cracks, our hardships, our failures, and we give them to Jesus, and he fills us with his spirit, we become more valuable because he is with us. Our witness becomes more powerful because our brokenness is not hidden, but it's out there for the world to see, but they see his glory and how he has brought us through it. We might have brokenness, but my cry to you today is don't hide it. Don't run from it. Give it to Jesus and let him turn it into something beautiful. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we praise you. Pray that as we go about our day today, that you would just speak to us more, that you'd pull us closer. We thank you for the celebration today. Help us be your witnesses like you've called us to be. We love you and praise you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.